The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, October 27th, 2019, on the basis of John 8, verses 31 through 36. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. I've heard it from quite a few different people on quite a few different occasions. In fact, I heard it again this past week when talking with one of our families here at church. What I've heard is that if you were to survey the broad landscape of Christianity and and sort of compare the different churches and different types of churches that there are, there might be a word that you would use to describe our church or a church like our church. And that word might just be strict. Have you heard that before? I don't know if you've heard that from anyone. I don't know if you've ever thought that yourself. I don't know if you've found yourself in agreement with that impression. Whenever I hear that word used, it doesn't at all surprise me. It certainly doesn't upset me. I can think of a lot of different reasons why people might use that word. In fact, I think I can probably think of every reason that is behind someone saying that. And yet really all of those different reasons that might prompt someone to use that word to describe a church like ours really all boil down to what we're talking about in church today. Today we're looking at one more big idea that is really at the heart of the Christian faith and therefore was at the heart of what we now refer to as the Lutheran Reformation of the Church. That big idea is sometimes expressed with the Latin phrase, sola scriptura, scripture alone. In other words, we believe, our church believes, that every last word of the Bible, from the first one to the last, is the word of God. And as a result, we also believe that the Bible is our one source of authority for our faith. If the Bible says it, we believe it. If the Bible commands it, we obey. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, why in the world do we believe that? How do we know for sure that the Bible is a reliable book? I'm so glad you asked that question because believe it or not, right now in our Sunday morning Bible class, we are talking about that very thing. We're meeting here each and every week at 9 o'clock to talk about that issue. I'd love to have you join us. But the sermon this morning is not going to be about that question because the words that are in front of us, the words from our Savior Jesus this morning that we're looking at are not about that question. They are about this big idea of sola scriptura, scripture alone, but they don't explain to us why we believe that. Instead, they point us to the benefit of doing so. And as they do, that benefit that comes from making the Bible our sole source of authority might seem a bit surprising. Yes, as a church, we stick to the Word of God. You might even say that we restrict ourselves to the Bible, but restricting ourselves to the Bible is not the same as being strict. In fact, by doing that, by restricting ourselves to the Word of God, we are not in any way confined or limited. In fact, as we'll see today, we're actually liberated. Doing this doesn't take a whole bunch of extra burdens and place them on our shoulders. In fact, it takes all of the burdens and lifts them away. If that doesn't seem to make sense, 
It's because Jesus' words in front of us this morning don't seem to make sense. They are, in many ways, paradoxical and counterintuitive. And yet, this is what Jesus wants to teach us today. He wants to encourage you to restrict yourself in order to be free. Some of the words that Jesus says in those verses from John that I just read are very familiar to people. A lot of people know them. You hear them and see them in all kinds of different places. In fact, they're actually printed and displayed in the lobby of our nation's CIA building. Most people can complete this sentence. The truth will set you free. Yeah, most people know that part. What far fewer people remember is what comes before it. In its entirety, this is what Jesus said. He said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Literally, Jesus is saying there, if you remain in my word. In fact, we might even picture this sort of spatially. Picture a room, a small room, the kind of room that would make you very, very nervous if you're a claustrophobic person. It's got four walls, it's got a floor, it's got a ceiling, it's got no windows, just one door. Jesus says, I want you to go in that room and I want you to stay in that room. But of course, it can't just be any room. Jesus doesn't just say remain in any word. He says, I want you to remain in my word. I want you to hold to my teaching. So that's the room, the specific room, the only room that you're supposed to go into, that you're supposed to stay in, that you're supposed to lock the door and throw, the way the, uh, throw away the key and don't go anywhere. Restrict yourself in that way. And that's how you will be free. One of the reasons that sounds so counterintuitive and surprising is because I think most of the time when people hear that phrase, Jesus' word, they maybe think only of the rules. As we'll see in a little bit, that's not specifically and certainly not exclusively what Jesus is talking about in these verses. And yet, let's just go with that for a second. Because when it comes to Jesus' word, we often talk about two main teachings, two big ideas that really summarize the entire Bible. And one of them is God's law, the rules, God's commands, his do's and his don'ts. And the idea of letting someone else with their rules tell us how we're supposed to live the idea of letting someone else's law restrict us in order to be free sounds like just the opposite of freedom. In contrast, we often think that being free means doing whatever we want, right? That's what it means to be a free person. And yet that fails to take into account that right now in each and every one of us, there are a whole lot of different things that we want, many of which are in conflict with one another. For example, the same person might say, well, I want to be healthy. I want to live a long life. I want to see my grandchildren grow up and get married. But I also want to eat good steak and drink good wine and have cheesecake for dessert each and every day of my life. Can't have both. The same person might say, I want to get good grades. I want to get into a good school. I want to get a good job. And I want to sit on the couch and watch TV and play video games eight hours a day. Can't have both. So very often inside of us, there are multiple wants. There are a whole variety of wants, many of which are in conflict with one another. And what that means is that inevitably we are going to let some guiding principle, some set of words restrict us. We're going to let some set of words determine which of those wants we are actually going to pursue. Maybe those words are the words of our parents. 
How we are are raised shapes what we want and the path that we pursue. Maybe those words are found in the music that we listen to or the news station that we watch. Maybe those words come from our peer group. Maybe those words come from our favorite celebrity or athlete who serves as our role model. In fact, most of the time, I, I think we aren't even aware of the words that we allow to restrict ourselves and determine the things that we want and the things that we pursue. Maybe consider just one example. What do you want to look like? What is your ideal definition of beauty or good looks? Do you realize just how much your answer to that question is determined by other people and not you? For example, you could pick out any painting from the Renaissance era that displays their definition of what an ideal, beautiful woman looked like. And ladies in the room, if you looked at that painting, I'm guessing you would not want to look anything like that. In those days, everyone wanted to look that way. In our day, not many people want to. Why is that? Because our definition of beauty and what we want in terms of our good looks is is so much shaped by the words and the influence of the world around us. So inevitably, there's going to be some set of words that we restrict ourselves to. The question is, which words have the best chance of giving us true freedom? See, true freedom can't be just doing whatever we want. Instead, true freedom is living in a way that is in harmony with how we have been designed. Think of this as an example. Let's say you have a goldfish in a tiny little fishbowl sitting on your kitchen table, and right next to that fishbowl, you set a plate of warm, crisp, delicious bacon. What if the fish inside that fishbowl looked through the glass, saw the bacon, and thought to itself, you know what? That looks pretty good. I'm going to jump right out of the fishbowl onto the table, and I'm going to go ahead and take a bite. That fish find freedom. It did whatever it wanted to do, right? And yet what it wanted to do was completely at odds with how it was made. What it wanted to do was something that was not for its good. Instead, it was something that would probably end up killing it. In the very same way, true freedom is not just doing whatever we want. It's doing what is in harmony with how we have been created. And who better to tell us how to live in harmony with how we've been created than the one who created us? Who is better equipped to write the instruction manual for your brand new toaster that you bought from Target? The designer of that toaster or the toaster itself? Probably the designer of the toaster, right? And that's why Jesus' words, of all the words that we might restrict ourselves to, that's why Jesus' words have the best chance. In fact, Jesus' words are uniquely equipped to bring us freedom. In fact, by restricting ourselves to those words, do you know, do you know how many other people's words you set yourself free from? You set yourself free from the words of people like me, for example. If I were to tell you to believe something or to do something that flatly contradicts the word of God, you would be free to tell me to take a hike. If your favorite athlete or celebrity tells you that it would be cool or it would be popular or it would be really, really fun to do something that God clearly calls sin, you are free to tune them out. If popular sentiment tells you that you are supposed to think one thing today and then another thing tomorrow and then still another thing the day after that, you are free to ignore all of it. And maybe best and most important of all, if your own heart 
which, correct me if I'm wrong, if it's anything like mine, has proven itself more than a few times to be a source of a lot of bad advice. If your heart tells you that your secret to happiness is pursuing something that God clearly calls wrong, you are free to tell your heart to shut up. Restrict yourselves to Jesus' law in order to be free from confusion. Restrict yourself to Jesus' law and you will always know how God intended you to live in a way that is in harmony with how he himself made you. Now that's a pretty nice benefit of restricting ourselves to Jesus' words and I I hope you'd agree with that. But maybe you'd also agree that that's not the thing we need most. Knowing what we are supposed to do, I think more often than not, is not our biggest problem. In fact, I think that most of the time, in most cases, most of us know exactly what we're supposed to be doing. The problem, of course, is that most of the time we are completely unable to do it. Put another way, so often in our lives, we cannot do what we want. And that is the opposite of freedom. In fact, you know what that makes us? Someone who cannot do what they want to do? That person is a slave. Now, if that's a little bit of a jarring thing to hear yourself referred to as a slave here as we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave, it was just as jarring for Jesus' original hearers to hear that about them. And so they objected to Jesus' words. They said, we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? In response, Jesus simply points out that if you cannot do what you want, you are in fact a slave. And if you cannot do what God tells you to do, you are a slave to sin. And if that is the case, then that means big trouble for us. Because if we are slaves, it means that our place in God's family and our place in God's house is not permanent, is not secure. A slave's place in the house is always contingent on their ability to fulfill the obligations of their master, to live up to his expectations. And if we are slaves to sin, the odds of us doing that are exactly zero. So what we need, as Jesus said, is for someone to come along and set us free. For someone to make us sons and daughters rather than slaves. For someone to take all of those obligations and lift them off of our shoulders. For someone to make our place, our status in the family, permanent and secure. We might think of it this way. Parents, I'm going to ask you a series of questions about your children. Don't answer them out loud because they're sitting right next to you and you might hurt their feelings. Have your children ever lied to you? Have your children ever damaged or broken something that belongs to you? Have your children ever done something that you told them not to do? Have your children ever not done something that you told them to do? Okay, tell you what, if your children have done any of those things, blink twice. Okay, so it's not just my kids then? Good. That's good to hear. Don't worry, kids, by the way. All of us parents who are answering those questions, one day we were children too, and our parents would have answered those questions in exactly the same way. But let me ask you this question. What if the people who did those things to you, the people that you experienced those things from in your life, were people that worked for you? What if the person who put that big scratch on the side of your brand new car was your car mechanic? What if the person who took that money out of your wallet and then lied to you about it later was your financial advisor? 
What if that person who broke that window in your house because they were playing golf too close to the property was your insurance agent? (laughs) Would you keep that person around for very long? Would you continue to pay that person money and give that person your business? Of course not. And yet that's exactly what we do for our children. In spite of the fact that they do all of those things, we continue to feed them and clothe them and drive them places and put a roof over their head because their spot in the family is permanent and secure. That's what it means to be a child. It means that you are not under any obligation to earn your spot in the house or keep your spot in the house. You are free from those things. And friends, that's exactly what we have in our Savior Jesus. This is that other big idea, that other main message of the Bible. Not the law, but the gospel. And friends, rest rest assured that there's only one place, only one set of words where you are going to get the gospel. There are plenty of other sources of truth that do a, a passable job of teaching us how we are supposed to live, but only one who can solve the problem of the fact that so often we just can't do it. Plenty of other religious leaders are great at putting additional obligations on our shoulders. Only one can make those obligations go away forever. And it's not because Jesus is just one giant pushover who looks at all of the wrong things that we do, slaps us on the back and says, oh, that's okay. No, it's because Jesus came to this earth to take all of those obligations and meet them for us in our place. It's because Jesus came to this earth to take all of our failures and take them on himself and pay for them, for us, in our place. In fact, if you're wondering at all why the Bible is the one source of truth, why we consider the Bible to be so reliable, just consider this fact for a moment. That one day, whether we restrict ourselves to Jesus' words or not, one day there is going to be a room that all of us will be in and where all of us deserve to stay. One of those rooms that if you were claustrophobic would make you very, very nervous. Four walls, a floor, a ceiling, no windows, no light, just one door, no way out. That room we call our tomb. All of us deserve to be in it and only one person ever has allowed himself, willingly, not because he deserved it, but willingly to be restricted in a room like that, but then had the power to get out had the power to set himself free. So maybe, just maybe, that same Jesus has the power to set you and I free as well. Restrict yourself to Jesus' gospel and you will always be free from obligation. Your place as a son, as a daughter in the family of God will be secure. You know, I think when a lot of of Americans think of freedom... A date that maybe sticks out in their head is July 4th. As Lutherans, I want that date to stick out in your mind as well, but for a slightly different reason. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service, this thing that we're celebrating today called the Lutheran Reformation started 500 years ago in 1517, so 502 years ago now. October 31st, 1517 was the day Martin Luther posted those 95 statements for public discussion questioning a lot of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, two years later, in 1519, 500 years ago this year, there was a very important event, a debate that took place in the German city of Leipzig. 
And the reason it was important is because that's when the conversation started to shift. Started to shift from the specific issues that were being discussed, the, the ones that Luther had raised, to the all-important issue of authority. In other words, from that point forward, it wasn't so much a matter of who was right or who was wrong, but who got to say? Who was in charge? And in Martin Luther's day, no one would have thought to answer, no, no one would have thought to ask that question. Who's in charge? Well, the church is in charge. Who's in charge? The, the Pope is in charge. But when Luther thought about who was in charge, he said, Scripture is in charge. That's when he really first started to formulate and assert this idea of sola scriptura, scripture alone. In fact, the day when he entered the debate and began to really take that position, July 4th, 1519. In fact, at the Leipzig debate, Luther made this shocking statement. A simple layman armed with scripture is to be believed above a pope or council without it. Luther had restricted himself to the Bible, and as a result, Luther was free. He was free from having to worry and wonder about where he stood with God. He was free from the control of people who would teach him contrary to the word of God. He was free from the fear of anything that they might do to him, including death itself. And if someone wants to use the word strict to describe that, then sign me up. Free from fear of where we stand with God. Free from the fear of anything that anyone might do to us, including death itself. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And that's not just a deal that God made for Martin Luther. That's a deal that Jesus wants to make with each and every one of us. He says, if you remain in my word, you will know the truth. And that truth will set you free. Amen. Amen. 